Welcome to this exciting series on Proverbs, the voice of wisdom. The book of Proverbs has been read and treasured by millions of believers for hundreds of years. There is so much wisdom to be found in this amazing book. In this series, Pastor Tim Brooks and Paul Kern will be sharing concepts of wisdom that will equip you to share in this life of victory God has for you. Now, join Pastor Paul Kern for this message on Proverbs, the voice of wisdom. Super excited to be able to speak to you and bring you the word. I've really been pouring over this and putting some notes together and really, really want um, our Wednesday night times to be really good, our midweek services to really be good and be worth, you know, your time coming out to church. We're going to take time to come. Uh, We want to make sure that it's good. So let's just dive into what we're doing. I hope you're enjoying your summer. Well, we've had a great summer. I mean, it hasn't really been super hot. What a beautiful breeze we had today. And I also hope that you're enjoying this summer series on Proverbs and you guys are having an opportunity to really dive into the book of Proverbs uh, and read. I've read it over and over and over again, and it's just, it's just amazing. It just never ceases to encourage me the wisdom that I glean out of Proverbs because Proverbs teaches us how to live the good life. God has a good life that he wants us to live. You know, I meet people, and it's like they're surviving life. Even Christians. You know, I meet a lot of Christians. Being in the ministry for as long as I have, I've met a lot of Christians, and and they're saved, and they're going to heaven. But life on earth is hell. It's hell in their family. It's hell with their children. It's hell on the job. Life is very hard for them even though they're saved and when they die, they're going to go to heaven. There's no doubt about that. But because they don't understand how to apply the principles of God's word and the truths of God's word and really walk in wisdom, they fall short of stepping into some things that God really wants us to step into as his people. Proverbs has been revealing a lot of things to us, work, relationships, spirituality, family, our world. There's all kinds of wisdom that we can glean from this book. But the world has also a very loud voice. You know, we look at Proverbs and we see this wise woman that is calling out to people who pass by. But we also see this woman of folly who is calling out to the naive that pass by. And so there's really two categories of people. There's a a foolish person, and the foolish person by nature The voice of folly is the predominant voice in their life. That's the voice that they hear more than anything else. You know, when they're in their home or when they're on their job or when they're with their boss or they're with their employees or they're in their personal time, in their meditation time, the person that is foolish hears the voice of folly talking to them. But the wise person when they're on the job, or they're with their family, or they're raising their children, or they're out on the town, because they're a person that is wise, they hear the voice of wisdom calling to them. And we want to hear the voice of wisdom. Now, in our day, the voice of foolishness is really loud. And we don't have to look very far to see that all around us. You know, we've got a lot of events going on in our country right now that, I mean, just really have me grieving. A lot of really sad events just even here lately that have taken place that it's just so sad that we're so divided. 
But people are listening to this loud voice that is screaming in their ear. And church, we have to be careful because it is easy for us to be enticed, deceived, and influenced by this same voice that we see in our culture. You know, as a matter of fact, even the news and the weather have become entertainment now. You know, everything's entertainment. And because everything is entertainment, pop culture uses that influence to draw us in to thinking wrong thoughts about a lot of different situations. So tonight in Lesson 10, I want to talk about just some popular sins in culture. And these are sins that have been popular all down through the ages in every culture. There are just certain sins that every culture has to face and every culture has to overcome. So tonight I want to talk about just a few, just a handful of popular sins that we have to make sure that we're aware of in our culture. The first one that I want to talk about is drunkenness. Drunkenness. Now I'm going to start out giving you some statistics here, but getting drunk has always been popular in every culture. You can go... (laughs) You can go all the way back to biblical times and you can read about people getting drunk in their tent and falling out naked and doing all kinds of strange things because that's what alcohol will do to you. It'll make you walk around naked and do strange things. Trust me, I know, B.C., not A.D., but B.C., we won't go there. Alcohol is classified as a depressant and a stimulant, both. And I've just done a little research over the years just because there was a lot of alcoholism in my family. So I've studied this and I've looked at this because, you know, I know the effects of alcohol. But alcohol is classified as a depressant and a stimulant. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of statistics. These go back to 2010. They're about seven years old. And that's about the average time. Seven to ten years is when they refresh statistics, okay, because they don't do them every year. That's not how it works. It costs too much money. But as of 2010, alcohol cost the U.S. economy $249 billion. That's $807 per person in our country. So every person in this room, it cost you $807 because of alcohol and drunkenness in our country. As a matter of fact, 88,000 people are killed each year by alcohol related deaths. So alcohol is an obvious cultural sin. Drunkenness is a cultural sin, and this cultural sin has been around for as long as time began. Now, let's go to our book here in Proverbs, and everybody go to Proverbs chapter 20, and we're going to, you know, flip around a little bit as we're looking at this study. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Wine produces mockers. Alcohol leads to fights. Those led astray by drink, now listen to this, cannot be wise. Now you can't be wise if you go around drinking and staying drunk. It's impossible to be wise. As a matter of fact, it's impossible to be wise being angry. You know, your IQ, when you become angry, you know, your IQ goes down 50%. And that's not hard to figure out because when we become really, really angry, we say stupid things. We act in stupid ways. And when we come back to our senses, we say, 
why in the world did I do that? Well, alcohol has that, that same effect. The only difference is you just can't remember what you said or what you did. But you're still accountable for what you said or what you did, even though you may not remember it. Now, I have met a few people, and I'm going to say very few people. I, I'm actually going to say very, very, very few people that I have met in my lifetime at 52 years of age that have drank one drink and stopped. I've just met very few people that have done that, and here's why. Because alcohol is a stimulant. And when you take a stimulant, it stimulates you for more stimulant. That's the whole point. You know, that's kind of how drugs and alcohol work, because so much of them are stimulants. They stimulate you. They make you feel different, and so you want more. So I've just, in my lifetime, honestly, I have met very, very few people that have just had one drink and stopped, even one glass of wine and stopped. I've just met very few people that do that. Proverbs 21, verse 17 says, Those who love pleasure become poor. Those who love wine and luxury will never be rich. So see, one of the things that alcohol can do to you is it can keep you poor. Now, this is not hard. All we have to do is look around our culture. You know, uh, uh, I don't know how much alcohol costs now. I know what I used to pay for it. I haven't checked lately. Um, But I do know that alcohol is expensive. Tobacco is expensive. Drugs are expensive. And so what they do is is they take your hard-earned money and it robs it from you. It literally, alcohol literally robs from you what you have produced and what you could use to be a blessing in your life and in other people's lives. Go to Proverbs 23, and I I want all of us to look at this particular one together. Proverbs 23, verse 29. Proverbs 23, verse 29. 29, and we're going to read all the way through verse 35. Who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who is always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? You can kind of see where it's going. It is the one who spends long hours in clubs trying out new drinks. Don't gaze at the wine. Don't see how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down. For in the end it bites like a poisonous snake and it stings like a viper. You will see hallucinations. You will say crazy things. You will stagger like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mast. And you will say, they hit me, but I didn't feel it. I didn't even know when they beat me up. When will I wake up so that I can look for another drink? Wow. Proverbs 31, verses 4 through 5. It is not for kings. It is not for kings to drink wine. It is not for rulers to have beer, lest they drink and forget God's law. What's it saying here? It's saying that if you want to be a leader, if you plan on leading people, you better stay away from alcohol. Because alcohol can become a snare to you 
and it will hinder your ability to lead with sobriety and with wisdom. See, you know, it, for example, tonight if I had a drink a lot and come up here on stage and tried to lead our church, I couldn't have led you with wisdom. There's no telling what all I might have said or what I might have done. That's why I'm always like, you know, I just had a procedure done last week and, you know, they put you under. And I'm, I'm, I don't like that. I don't like that because I'm always thinking, you know, because they don't tell you what you say when you start coming to. And, I'm, and they, they know I write down on that piece of paper that I'm a pastor. And so I'm just like, before I go under, I'm praying, dear God, please, dear God, don't let me say anything bad when I come to. God, please, let my, let my words be good, God. Let them be godly. Whatever I say, Lord, let, you just get nervous. But it's kind of the same thing because you're not in control of your faculties. So if you want to be a leader of people, if you want to be a person of influence, you want to avoid alcohol. Proverbs 31. Everybody look at this one with me. This is another one. I've actually had a couple of winos and alcoholics when I've been out witnessing use this one on me because they have it memorized, okay? Alcoholics have this particular scripture memorized because I had some in my family that had this memorized. I'm not going to call out any names. They might listen to the podcast. That would not be good. Proverbs 31, 6 and 7, alcohol is for the dying and wine for those in bitter distress. Let them drink to forget their poverty and remember their troubles no more. Now, I've had people tell me that they read the Bible and the Bible told them that when they're in hard times or when they're facing difficult problems, the Bible gives them license to drink and to become drunk. And they use this scripture. And I, I have. I've actually had people that I've witnessed to that were sitting on a street corner with a bottle in their hand, and they were drunk. They actually knew that verse. They had it memorized, and they spoke that verse to them. You'd be surprised how many people that are out on the streets actually have a lot of religious background. At one time, they had a relationship with God, and, and alcohol stole that from them. It literally took that relationship from them. But here's what you have to understand. This is called irony. Okay, there's a lot of different types of figures of speech in the Bible, okay? This particular type is called irony. In other words, the opposite of this is what it's saying. It doesn't literally mean that this is what you're supposed to go and do. It's the opposite of that. That's why it's called irony. Because nobody, nobody's problems have been resolved by drinking. I've never met one person, and, I, and I've counseled people who, over the years, you know, who have dealt with alcohol, young people and older people, and I've never seen anybody's problems been resolved by drinking and becoming drunk. Nobody wants to spend the last minutes of their life on earth drunk. No, nobody wants to do that. And I also think it's important to remind our church you know, when Jesus was on the cross and he was under all kind of stress and pressure and duress as a leader, I recall them offering Jesus some wine mixed with drugs for him to drink to numb his senses, and Jesus refused it. Jesus said, no, the Holy Spirit is all I need. The Holy Spirit will help me through this situation, 
but I'm not going to put myself in a position where I'm outside of my mind and out of control of my own soul and my own spirit. I'm going to leave that to God and let God help me through this situation. Now, let me tell you what happens by not drinking. I want to give you a couple of positive things. Here's a couple of positive things that happens by not drinking. One, you're never tempted to get drunk. You know, ever since that I have been saved, I gave my heart to Christ in 1988, and I've been living for the Lord since then at the age of 23, and I did a lot of drinking. UTC guys, you know, some of you guys come from that background, maybe a broken home with alcoholism in your family, and, and I hate that for you because I know how difficult that is to deal with. And I did a whole lot of drinking in my early years, in my, in my teens, and all, on up into my tweens, and I gave my heart to Christ, and, and God set me free from alcohol and drugs and tobacco. He set me free from all of that, and I'm grateful. I've saved myself literally thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in my lifetime. But I've also saved my liver, and I've saved my family, and I've, and, and, and I've been able to be used by the Lord to do a lot of other things. But, you know, I've never been tempted to be drunk ever since I got saved. You know why? I don't drink. I never have to worry about being tempted to get drunk because I don't drink. There's no alcohol in my home. There's no alcohol in my refrigerator. I don't keep any in my office at work. I don't have a thing, an old charter in my desk drawer. You know, I don't have one in my glove box in my pickup. You know, and we laugh at that. We laugh at that. But I'm not, I'm really not making light because church, there are people in churches all over the world and in our church that struggle with alcoholism. But I share my story with you because I want you to know tonight that God can set you free. Because the world will tell you that once you're an alcoholic, you'll always be an alcoholic. But that's not what God says about you. The Bible says that he makes all things new. The Bible says we can do all things through Christ. See, God has an answer for our sin. God has an answer for the things that life tries to put on us. The second thing that happens by not drinking is you never cause anybody else to stumble with alcohol. I've never in all the years that I've been walking with Christ have I ever one time, and I'm so proud that I can say this. I really am proud because had you known me before I got saved, I couldn't have said this, but I'm so proud to say that I have never influenced any of my friends since I gave my heart to Christ to drink alcohol or to get drunk. And, and at the same time, we're not in a position where we can hurt anyone with alcohol, whether through what we say or how we act or when we're behind the wheel of an automobile or another vehicle. See, there are very positive things that come. These two blessings alone outweigh whatever pleasure you may derive from drinking alcohol, just those two. And so tonight I want to encourage you to avoid the sin, the popular cultural sin of drunkenness. And that's for the young and old all across this room in here tonight. The second sin that I want to talk about tonight is disrespect. Disrespect. You're not naturally born with a respectful attitude. It, it doesn't come natural to you. It's easy to be disrespectful. It takes work to be respectful. Yeah, have you noticed that? You have to work at respecting people. It's not hard to disrespect people. 
It, that comes easy. That's a part of our carnality. It's a part of our carnal nature. But we have to work at respecting people. And I believe it starts in the home. I believe it starts in the home. Parents and leaders have to teach and model respect so that everyone else around us can learn from our example. Now, the Bible talks a lot about husbands and wives. And one of the things that the Scripture says is it says, Wives, respect your husbands as to the Lord. And it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And there's one thing that I know. Men need respect. And women need love. Those are two elements that men and women have to have given to them for there to be a healthy atmosphere in the home. And husbands and wives who disrespect each other in the home, that attitude spills over to everyone else. It's really hard for you as a parent to expect your children to have a respectful attitude to authority and leadership when you're not modeling that in front of them in the home. The best way to convey and teach your children respect of authority, and that's teachers, that's law enforcement officers, come on, that's coaches, that's pastors, that's anybody in a position of authority or leadership, the best way to teach it is to model it. We've got to model it. You know, you, we can't say to our children, do what I say, not what I do. No, we have to say, watch what I do and follow me as I do it. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said? Follow me as I follow Christ. So it has to be modeled in the home. Let's look at a couple of scriptures here together. Go to Proverbs 15. Y'all getting something out of this? Proverbs 15, verse 5. Only a fool despises a parent's discipline. Whoever learns from correction is wise. All right, go to verse, uh, chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse 26. Children who mistreat their father or chase away their mother are an embarrassment and a public disgrace. Chapter 20, verse 20. If you insult your father or mother, your light will be snuffed out in total darkness. 28, verse 24. We're just looking at family relations, right? 28, 24. Anyone who steals from his father and mother and says, what's wrong with that, is no better than a murderer. Wow. Whoa. The sixth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. Right? That's, it made one, the ten biggies. I mean, that, that's up there. It's in the ten biggies. Honor your father and mother. But parents, we have to model this. You know, I remember when I was, um, I don't know how old I was. I was probably, oh, 11 or 12, and I was in the truck with my dad, and my dad really had a lead foot. <laughs> he had a bad habit of speeding everywhere he went because he was always in a hurry. And my dad got lots of speeding tickets. I think he knew most of the uh, highway patrol in our area on a first-name basis. So anyway, I remember my dad going down the road, and he was speeding, and all of a sudden, you know, here come the lights, and they're flashing, and we get pulled over. And 
the things that started coming out of my father's mouth, the derogatory things that he began to say, and I can't repeat the things that he was saying, but I just remember sitting there as a, as a preteen and listening to what my dad was saying. And now that I look back on that, I see how that was affecting me. And I didn't really realize it at the time. And then the, the, the highway patrol, and he walked up to the window, and he said, I see your, your license and your insurance, you know, kind of how it goes. And, and he leaned over, oh, how you doing today, Mr. Kern? You know, he knew his name. And, and my dad was real respectful the whole time. He just wasn't respectful before and after. And so I learned something there. And as parents, we have to model respect for authority. We have to model that honor that needs to be shown. You know, we can't sit around our dinner tables, parents, and talk negatively about leadership, you know, or about other people, and then expect our young people to be able to come to school and show the respect that we're requiring them to give when we just disrespected those people around our dinner tables we talk bad about them. And we just have a rule in our home. You know, we don't talk negatively or bad about anybody in our home, especially at dinner time. We're going to make dinner time fun. We're going to make dinner time good. We're going to talk about our day. We're going to have a good time. But it would be very difficult. You know, for example, if, if, if we went home and around the dinner table at lunch on Sunday, we started talking about how we didn't like the sermon or we didn't like the worship, then what are we instilling into our children? We have to be very careful about what we do. Uh, I, I just want to, for a minute, I want to talk to our young leaders in the room tonight. Uh, those of you that are 30 years old and under, I want to talk to you tonight. All of our young leaders that are in this room, if you'll go to Ephesians chapter 6, I want to just talk a second here about respect. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to look at this together, um, starting with verse 1. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing for you to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and your mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. So, I just want to talk about this here a minute because, you know, it's not really hard for a three-year-old to respect and honor their mother and father. They have to. And they don't really, they're not mature enough to really conceptualize all those things. When you begin to fall into a place where you can dishonor and disrespect your father and mother is when you start moving up into your adult years. Your, your, your teen years, your, your early 20s, into your 30s, when you start establishing your own family, your own home, you're raising your own kids, you're kind of doing it your own way, you've got your own values that you're wanting to instill, and, and your parents tend to want to, you know, give their opinions and, and say things, and, and, and that's their right to give their opinion if they want to. Now, you don't necessarily have to agree with it, but what you do have to do is you have to respect it, and you have to honor it. And there's a real trend that I'm seeing 
And a lot of us leaders have talked about this uh, in our ministry. There's a real trend that we're seeing today where respect and honor has become personal, not positional. And I, I want to develop this just a little bit, and especially as I'm talking to our young leaders in here uh, in this room. Well, I'll give them respect if they earn my respect. But the Bible does not say that honor and respect is personal. It's positional. You know, when we read Ephesians chapter 6, it doesn't say honor your father and respect your, your father and your mother if they do everything that you think they ought to do. If they talk to you nicely all the time, if they don't ever make any mistakes, if they're always respectful to you, then you be respectful to them. <clears throat> no, I, I think the golden rule says do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And I had to learn this. You know, I had to walk through all of this and navigate all of this as I was dealing with my mother and my father, you know, because my father was an alcoholic and he was lost and he was a, an angry person and he was very difficult to deal with. But I had gotten saved and I knew that I had a mandate and a call on my life. And I, I really, really worked hard at being honoring and respectful of my father, even when he wasn't to me. And I'm so glad that I did because my dad was lost for so many years and he caught cancer and he got throat cancer and they gave him six months to live and my dad actually made it four years. And it was, you know, over that period of time, for about seven years I was praying for my father in the last years of his life, you know, my dad came to know Christ and there was a lot of relationship stuff that was restored and it was really, really awesome. But had I not respected him and honored him, even when he didn't respect and honor me. My dad didn't even come to my wedding. I invited him to come to my wedding, and he didn't even show up. I'm not coming to that. Those things are hurtful. But I still was called to honor and respect. Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowances for each other's faults, and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must, must forgive others. And if you're in this room tonight and you're in a situation where you're having a hard time with a disrespectful attitude toward authority or leadership, I really want to encourage you to get with the Lord and get that straightened out. Because all that's going to do is hold you back. It's not going to hold them back. It's going to hold you back. So I want to encourage you to get that fixed. The third one is greed. 1 Timothy chapter, um, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 this is a very familiar passage to all of us. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Look at Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs 15, and we're going to look at verse 27. Greed brings grief to the whole family, but those who hate bribes will live. The greedy bring ruin to their household. <clears throat> you know, I, I've been around greedy people before. And here's something that I've found out about greedy people. Greedy people walk in a lot of fear because they're fearful that they won't have what they need to live and survive. But didn't Jesus encourage us? Didn't he say, consider the birds of the air and the lilies of the field? Didn't Jesus say that God knows that you need all these things, and if he's provided for the birds and the lilies, won't he be able to provide for you? And so as our level of faith and trust in God grows, 
then our level of greed lessens. And, be, and we begin to become more like Jesus because Jesus was the ultimate giver. God was the ultimate giver. It says, because God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave. And so we want to avoid being people who are controlled by greed. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. The, the fact is, giving is contagious. It really, really is. I love to give. I give all the time. Now, I don't go around telling people what I do, but I give all the time. I love giving. I actually have an account in the bank, and it's called Seed. I have a, a, a separate account called Seed. I put money in it every single week. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you just thought to yourself, man, I wish I could help them? Well, I don't ever think that because I can help them. Because I put money in every week so that I can help people. Because God has called us to be people who give. And the best way to overcome greed is to give. See, you give your way out of fear. You give your way out of greed. You give yourself into a blessing. The last popular sin that I want to talk about, and this is a big one, it's pride and arrogance. Pride and arrogance. Pride is the sin of sins because it is the original sin of Lucifer. <clears throat> Go to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, and we're going to look at verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. Now this is talking about Lucifer. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven, and I will set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Well, you can't, you know, God's the... God is the HHH. Y'all know what that is? He's the head honcho of heaven. You, you don't go any higher than that, right? You can't, you, know, you can't go above the president. I mean, that's as high as you go. And so Lucifer here is saying, oh, I'm going to ascend and I'm going to arise above God. See, that's what pride will do to you. It'll get you thinking really weird stuff. And so instead, you'll be brought down to the place of the dead into the lowest Depths and everyone will stare at you and they'll ask can this be the one who shook and made the kingdoms of the world to tremble is tremble Is this the one who just you know? It, everybody's gonna look at you and go wow look what became of this individual because of what pride Did to them Well, I'll tell you I've watched pride destroy people's lives I've seen people come to church and leave church because of pride I've seen people divorce because of pride I've seen relationships with sons and daughters broken because of pride. I've seen lives destroyed because of pride. Proverbs has a lot to say about pride. Proverbs 15:25, Proverbs 18:12, Proverbs 21:24, Proverbs 29:23 and it goes on and on and on. Proverbs 16:18, this is a popular one that we all know. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride will bring you down. And here's why. Because pride becomes an idol in your life. Pride becomes an idol in your life because pride 
puts us above God. I got a poem I want to read to you in closing tonight. It says, my name is pride. I'm a cheater. I cheat you of your God-given destiny because you demand your own way. I cheat you of contentment because you deserve better than this. I cheat you of knowledge because you already know it all. I cheat you of healing because you're too full of yourself to forgive. I cheat you of holiness because you refuse to admit when you're wrong. I cheat you of vision because you'd rather look in the mirror than out the window. I cheat you of genuine friendship because nobody's going to know the real you. I cheat you of love because real romance demands sacrifice. I cheat you of greatness in heaven because you refuse to wash another's feet on earth. I cheat you of God's glory because I convince you to seek your own. I cheat you in so many ways because my name is Pride and I am a cheater. You like me because you think I'm always looking out for you, untrue. I'm looking out to make you a fool. God has so much for you, I admit, but don't worry. If you stick with me, you will never know it. Isn't that powerful? Wow. The sin of pride. Look what it did to Lucifer. It'll do the same to you and I if we allow pride to control our lives. Ephesians 4.2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Proverbs 11, verse 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. What a powerful truth as we look at this poem and what it talks about in pride. Tonight as we're looking at these popular sins, Proverbs talks about popular sins of culture. It shows us the popular sins that have been around since the, the dawn of mankind. These are sins that are acceptable by society. Society says it's okay. You hear people say it all the time. Well, everybody's doing it. You know, I've heard young people say that. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. It's not that big of a deal. It really isn't that big of a deal. But the point isn't that everybody is doing it, and the point isn't that it isn't that big of a deal. The point is this. What does God have to say about it? You know, if the Bible is going to be our standard, if, if God is going to be the ultimate guide and rule in our life, then we have to come under and submit ourselves to God's rule in our life. Proverbs speaks a lot about socially acceptable sins. And we're in this study in the Word of God so that we might know the God of the Word. See, the way that you get to know God is you get acquainted with His Word. If you want to know God more deeply, then you get to know what His Word says. You can survive life, or you can experience the good life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have what? Life, and that that life would be more abundant. That's what Proverbs is trying to help us walk into. As we apply the wisdom of the Word, we can walk in the good life that God has destined for us. Amen? Amen. Let's give God a hand clap tonight. Amen. Stand with me. 
want to thank everyone for coming out. And man, we're just praying God's blessings on you, on your family, on your businesses, on your home, as you continue to put yourself under the word and, and, and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's just going to get better and better and better. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our church. God, we're so grateful to you for all that you're doing. God, help us each and every day. Extend your grace to us. Give us your mercy. Help us to walk in truth and help us to be salt and light to people that we run into contact with each and every day. Lord, bring us back here Sunday. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message on Proverbs. CMC has so much to offer. We host men's and women's conferences each year, summer camps for all ages, a Christian school K-4 through 12th grade, youth conferences, a college-age internship, and much more. Go to cmchurch.com for more information about all the great things CMC has for you.